welcome to the Women in Tech SEO podcast, where your hosts are myself, Sarah McDowell, and the wonderful Arij Abu Ali. This week, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest lined up for you, and that is Lydia Infante. Lydia has been in SEO for seven years, working in-house for media outlets, B2B and e-commerce sites. She moved from Barcelona to Sheffield to join the agency world at Rise at Seven. Hello, Lydia. Hi, Sarah. How are you? This season is sponsored by Novos. Novos, the London-based e-commerce SEO agency, has won multiple awards for their SEO campaigns, including Best Global SEO Agency of the Year, two years running. Trusted by over 150 global e-commerce brands, including the likes of Bloomin' Wild, Patch and Thread, Novos provides technical e-commerce SEO expertise with a creative edge by specialising across platforms like Shopify and Magento. They have been named as one of 2021's best workplaces in the UK and with a diverse gender balanced team are a culture first agency. Check them out on thisisnovos.com or follow on LinkedIn at thisisnovos. I'm very good. Now, I, I imagine that Sheffield is very different to Barcelona. It's very, very different. It's not as rainy as I was expecting, to be fair, but it's still not warm and sunny. Ah, so you were, were you warned about the British UK weather before moving over? Absolutely. I was told it was going to be miserable. To be fair, I just feel like Brits enjoy complaining about the weather rather than the weather being that awful. Oh, I suppose we need something to talk about or moan about. Yes. Um, right, so before we sort of um, kick into the main topic today, um, and that main topic is um, multilingual SEO, but we'll go into that more later. But would you be able to give our wonderful listeners a brief overview of yourself, um, what you do, and sort of like how you got into this wonderful world of SEO? Realized I said wonderful far too many times there, but anyway, sure. over to you. Great. So um, I work as Senior International Strategist at Rise of Seven, which means that I work with a digital strategy for global um, brands. And I'm also running our uh, European expansion, which means that I'm sort of managing the um, German strategies, the Dutch strategies. We're currently hiring for Spanish strategies as well. Um, and this involves a lot of analyzing uh, the client performance, reporting, communicating, checking that everything's on track. And then we're actually impacting the business bottom line, not just like building links for the sake of building links or building content for the sake of building content. And um, I came into SEO in a bit of a weird, funny way. I was working in PPC, as many of us do, but we never really talk about it. Um, I was working in PPC for an international e-commerce site where when I decided to found my own women's rights magazine, I wanted to do something really light and really funny that wasn't very brainy and uh, difficult, just something that was really approachable for like 
everybody to get what women's rights are about and what feminism is about. Um, and that was at the time where Facebook started traffic, cutting traffic to publishers. So I realized that SEO was, it had a lot of potential. I already had keyword research skills and some um, information on how SEO worked from my uh, work in the e-commerce site. So I just like went for it and I realized that it was a really, really, really good channel to meet people where their needs were. So in that micro moment where they were looking for the answer to a question or a resource, being able to be there and meet their needs was like something really meaningful, something really key. And it meant a lot to me as, a, as an activist at the time to be able to support those women who were looking for answers or help or whatever and have the resources to be there ranking and helping them. So that's really what got me into SEO. Wonderful. And uh, I love the fact that you, uh, how you got into that, how you got into SEO, because uh, that's a very interesting story. Um, right, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Um, are you ready to clear your brain and just answer with the first thing that comes into your head? <laughs> yeah. Okay, texting or talking? Texting. Favourite day of the week? Wednesday. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. What's the best age? 28. <laughs> Is that your age? Yeah. <laughs> um, do you Instagram your food? Yes. Ah, there. You survived my quick fire round of questions there. Um, I... Yes, and I'm going to move on to sort of, because um, obviously this is the Women in Tech SEO podcast, so I'm just going to ask you a few questions around that sort of subject, with my first one being, what empowers you to be the brilliant woman you are today? Oh, um, that's a, <laughs> it's not a question, am I a brilliant woman? I try to be, um, I wouldn't know what to answer to be honest um i think what empowers me to be like the seo that i am today the brilliant woman that i am today um is in part the support of the community like the women in tech seo community that um arish has initially built and we've all been uh, building together is really gives a, a very powerful sense of belonging and um with all of the networking that we can do with each other, we can really level the playing field a little bit because it's a very active kind of networking, a very active kind of help that we're doing for each other, which really can bring us back to the level of men have, who have been in the industry for a really, really long time. So yeah, we're basically skipping all of the gatekeepers and making our own little corner in the industry. Yes, we are. Yes, we are indeed. Um, and if you could give one quick bit of advice to um, women starting out in the industry, what would that be? Um, I would use the piece of advice that has helped me the most in my job, uh, which is something that um, I received in an email from Carrie, Carrie Rose, um, just like a company-wide email, but it's really, really stuck with me. And it's, um, if you're 70% sure of something, go and do it. If you're less than 70% sure of that, um, ask your peers. And I think this is a confidence builder for sure. 
I like that. I've not heard of that um, advice. And I love when I ask that question and something completely new comes out. Um, and I'm going, to, I'm going to start using that myself. It's really good. It changed my life. <laughs> um, right. So we got you on today uh, to talk about working in SEO markets where you don't speak the language. Um, so to sort of kick things off, um, I guess one of the biggest barriers is understanding the context of the language in order to then work with the data, because obviously SEO is very data-led. Um, so what, I mean, what can you do about about this? Right. So what I like doing is upskilling my team into not having to understand the words in order to work with the data. If you have a very solid process of keyword research and reporting, you should not need the words to understand the numbers. Um, but that's when it comes to reporting and keyword research. For other things, you absolutely do need the input of a native speaker. Um, if a company is opening, is trying to expand into a market, they probably will have someone who speaks the language at least somewhere in the business. Otherwise, it's going to be very difficult to fulfill those needs. Um, so what I like to do is I get just an approval of someone that's in there. So for campaign ideas, always bring in a native into the um, um, ideation and the brainstorming always getting sign off from them for the angles and stuff that you're going to put out in front of the media. Um, obviously get creative translation for the work that you're doing. And other than that, you just need like some help with the keyword research when it comes to like finalizing it and saying, this is the keywords that we are going to tackle just to make sure that you're not missing some big contextual thing around one keyword or the other. But uh, yeah, Mostly is um, have a solid process that you trust and have a native speaker to verify that you've done a good job. And I suppose with having a process, um, like once you've got like a solid structure, you've got something to work with. But as you're sort of working with this process and you're working with the structure that you put in place, that can be flexible, I'm guessing, and you can change because I'm guessing like as you're working in different markets, um, you'll sort of like learn more as you go along. So I suppose um, it's like really good to have a process, but would you say it needs to be flexible as well? Yeah, definitely. It needs to be flexible when working with clients. Um, I mean, now that I'm agency side, it's all about the clients. Uh, it needs to be flexible when communicating with your own team because everybody's going to have different needs. Um, and also, I like to keep track of the effectiveness of the process, um, keeping track of my approval rate. So, for example, when I'm doing keyword research, every time that I go check with uh, the native speaker of the market, whether my keywords are right or wrong, um, I get a, I write down the percentage of keywords that have been approved. Um, same for campaign ideas. I, I like to keep um, uh, approval rates kind of going so I can see if there's a drop somewhere, it means that there might have been a change in the market and it's time to update the processes. So it's good to also keep a pulse on the health of your own processes like that. Are there sort of some common reasons why keywords will get sort of um, not approved? Or does it really depend on the on the market that you're working with? And at the time, I suppose, as well. Yeah, so it it will mostly be because something is like some of the keywords that you have are also a synonym of something else, which is what uh what's driving the volume, for example, or 
Um, so in the if you were researching in the Spanish market and you were to use the word spring, which is primavera, um, you might find a really, really high, high volume. And that could be due to the Primavera Festival that happens in Barcelona. So it can be both like that's a synonym of a word that you should not be using, or it has a, some type of cultural rel relevance, a brand or a name or an event. So another thing that um, I suppose we have to think about when working in different markets across the globe is the SEO maturity of the place that you're working with. And I suppose we're not just talking about SEO maturity on Google side, but also like the market and customers. Um, so what sort of advice would you have here to give to give our listeners? Right. This one's a really, really tricky one. Um Recently, we were having a, a Twitter conversation and um, I asked John Mueller from Google um, to have some input on what it takes to succeed in international SEO. Um, the way that I was talking about international SEO and the way that the industry usually talks about international SEO is quite different. I'm not usually talking about technical factors. I'm more talking about human factors. Um, those human factors can be the people that are uh, writing or coding the CMS, the people that are uh, building Google, the people that are in the industry doing SEO, right? So for example, in the Spanish market, there is a lot of link buying, which affects the way that customers, uh, clients see um, link building, the way that SEOs approach link building, and the way that media outlets are used to working with PR agencies, right? They're they're used to getting paid to publish those links unless they're actively looking for a story. So um, that's one of the things that we need to take into account, what the ecosystem looks like. We also need to take into account the level of understanding that Google is going to have of the language. And there really is no easy way to go about it. A lot of the new, the new ways and the evolving ways in which um, SEO tactics succeed is due to how Google is getting better at processing uh, natural language, but it's not getting better at the same pace for every language. So it's very, very safe to assume that the first language that it's going to be good at is English. Um, I would kind of hope that the second one would be Spanish, but we really have not a great way of knowing that. So it's mostly about talking to SEOs in the industry. Um, and having direct experience within those markets. I am lucky to have experienced the Italian, French, German, British, Australian, Spanish, and uh, New Zealand market personally. But um, if I were to go on another market, I would probably try and have some conversations with people who are already working on those. Yeah, I suppose I didn't, um, I don't work in multilingual SEO. So I didn't like appreciate the fact that, um, yeah, like predominantly Google understands like English, isn't it? And mm -hmm. um, it's got a long way to go to understand um, other languages and stuff. And I suppose... I mean, will they ever get to a point where they can understand languages as, as well as English? I don't know. Probably. I, I guess there's like, it's worth for them investing in it. So my guess is that yes. Definitely, definitely. Um, awesome. Okay. So 
earlier on, um, you you sort of scratched the surface about digital PR. Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously if we think about like link building tactics in different markets, I suppose that there are some key challenges that, that you'll face, um, when working in a market that you're not familiar with. Um, so things that I'm thinking here are like sensitive subject areas, time differences, um, identifying what's trending. Are there any other challenges and how, how can you go about sort of, um, dealing with these? Oh yeah. Um, so when it comes to sensitive subject areas, for example, um, again, and this is becoming a theme, check with the, with the local. Um, for one of our clients, we were, um, we work with one of our financial clients across multiple territories. Um, we work with them in the UK and we also work with them in Spain. Um, in the UK, stories about the royal family are really good. They work really well all of the time. Um, if we were to use those stories in the Spanish media, we would probably like get the police knocking on our door at some point. Um, so it is that type of local knowledge that's going to help you understand where you should be um, talking about, right? Uh, for example, um, the very same client, we're working with them in Germany as well. We know not to go um, close to the pension um, subject, so we wouldn't be talking about pensions. I don't exactly understand why. Um, Samira, our German PR, would know for sure, uh, but that's you kind of need to be having those conversations with your clients and with your team, for sure. Like actively have them. It sounds a running theme um, throughout what we're talking about is like having someone native that can um, act as like an advisor, I suppose, Mm -hmm. and making sure that um, you are successful and you don't end up in prison because you've talked about the Spanish. (laughs) Do you know, know, that's not ideal, is it? It's not, no. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it sounds like it can be like a bit of a trick to talk about doing multilingual SEO, but talk about also having a person that speaks a language and knows the culture. But that doesn't mean that that's your SEO. It can be anyone within your business. And you need to be able to implement processes with your design team, with your data team, um, with everybody around the business on how to tackle international and multilingual challenges yes and I'm guessing as well um that like there's different rules and stuff to follow as well because obviously in the UK um and I'm, I'm going a bit off piste here um but there's certain like cookie rules isn't there and, mm-hmm. and things and I know that um some are um, European standard but some are like specific to like the country and stuff um so I'm guessing like there's a lot to get your head around isn't there there's there's not just the sort of um knowing the language understanding the context and understanding um the culture and all that trending and what to do and what not to do but there must also be um sort of rules and regulations as well yeah it it comes back to something that I mentioned earlier on that if you are opening a business uh somewhere else like somewhere in the world where you're not actually based or where you're not from um you need to either have a good infrastructure for it or just don't do that um i don't i don't mean to like discourage anyone from like internationalization quite the contrary um but you definitely will have will need at some point legal structure and legal advisors that are going to help you with that would you say that um a global campaign uh, compared with a specific 
campaign specific to like a, a country um they're the same or or are they different right so when you're doing a campaign for one country um like a country that's not english non-english speaking you are unlikely to get international pickup right um if you're doing it in spanish you are likely to get a pickup in latin america but if you want to do something global and big um you could start out in english um if you're doing a campaign in the us or in the uk um approach the media within your country and then start outreaching internationally this also helps you build a proof of concept so you can learn from this whether or not your campaign is working in Germany or the Netherlands or Italy. And if it is working in these countries, it is worth um, involving your uh, PR strategist and translating the campaign into those countries, especially for global brands. Um, are there any sort of um, tools? Um, so obviously, I'm guessing um, the sort of like standard SEO tools that um, like we use, but are there any like specific to like languages or? To be fair, not really. Um, Anyone who's worked in SEO in another language can tell you for sure that search volumes are not as accurate in other languages. All the information that you're getting from tools is just less reliable everywhere, which is why I think some um, countries have really, really amazing SEOs that have to build their own tools or work <laughs> a lot more with, with your eyes and your hands than, your, than the tools, which is... Um, I think a, a very common sin within the SEO industry. Sometimes you even forget to look at the SERPs yourself because you're seeing them through SEMrush or through Ahrefs or whatever. Um, so I would say you end up using your brain, your hands and your eyes a lot more in international SEO and multilingual SEO than you do tools in comparison to an English speaking uh, market yeah that is yeah, it is a big challenge yeah and I because I have an issue anyway with um like keyword research because you know that like the data isn't like 100% accurate anyway because when I'm doing like keyword research and stuff um like people will spell things in different ways they'll spell mm -hmm. things wrong um like it's an average at the end of the day isn't it and like yeah I suppose I can see how that's even more of a challenge when you're talking about multilingual and doing international sort of keyword research. So, um, yeah, maybe there's a niche there. If anyone is listening and wants to take that on. Yes, please make, make SEO tools that actually work in languages that's not English, please. That's it. Sorry, like about the tools thing. Um, I really like working with um, SEMrush and Ahrefs because when you're doing the... Um, the keyword research, you get a little column on the side of the most repeated terms within the results. So you can go on that column, translate that column and um, everything that looks very obviously not right for you, such as free or cheap if you're working with a luxury client, you can just exclude it and it makes your keyword list so much shorter. Ah, there's, there's a top tip there from yeah. there. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. Um, yes, so are there any um, resources um, that you can recommend to people to like read more about this subject or learn more? There's really not a lot out there. And from what I've seen of the 
on my very own QR research around um, how we're looking for and talking about multilingual SEO and international SEO, there's really not that much demand of people trying to learn about how to actually take your SEO internationally and make it work. I think it's because there might not be the awareness that you actually need to take many, many things into account when you're working with international markets. So I would say um, just get conversations going with local SEOs within the mar your target market um, and try things. One of the best ways to learn is to fail. Um, and the faster that you fail, the faster that you win. Yes, because you can also turn failures into successes, yeah. can't you? Because you should be learning by fails and seeing what you can do differently. Yeah, um, exactly. And that's and that's SEO across the board, isn't it? Because it's not a one size fits all. You have to try things for yourself, don't you? Um, Completely. Yeah. And then as long as you are um, sort of like reporting and you've got a benchmark, do you know what I mean? And you can see, okay, this is where we were this is where we are now. Um, and then you can sort of see, okay, was that successful? Was it not? What can we do differently? Yeah. Um, so. You have to be very ready to um, pivot. You have to be very ready for like failing and very actively looking out for how your strategy can be failing um, and kind of like absolutely destroy your own ego and be very, very ready to like, yeah, make mistakes. Yes, make mistakes. It's a safe space to make mistakes. Um, I reckon, uh, I feel like we've covered a lot there. Um, <laughs> um, have we covered everything that you wanted to talk about? I think so. I think some of the like key points of stuff that we've been talking about is how actually there's a lot of um, the, the cultural differences between countries is something that cannot yes. be overlooked. Um, it is very, very key to think of how Google, how well Google is understanding the language in which you're trying to do SEO in, um, and also what the SEO landscape looks like. How are SEOs talking to the media in that target country? And how can you, how is that going to affect the way that you are going to be talking to them, right? So that's that's a really practical thing. Something that we've not discussed because I don't have the, the technical knowledge to say it correctly um, is um, how there are different characters in different languages. So, for example, in Spain, we've got yes. accents, we've got the enye, and depending on the encoding that your uh, CMS is using, that can make or break your strategy. So you need to be um, sort of aware of what that encoding is and how you're going to tackle it, how what's going to be your strategy. So in Spain, for example, we've got the Ñ, it's a, um, N with a squibbly thing yeah. uh, above it. I had a domain that had the Ñ in it and it was an absolute nightmare um, because, well, the way that it was uh, shown on Facebook, for example, on the link preview made absolutely no sense and it really damaged the brand. So I would, even though it was correctly spelled, I wouldn't have gone with that. I would have ah. looked at doing it differently. Um, we also had a big issue with a WordPress implementation at some point because um, Spanish and I believe also French have um, opening question marks and opening uh, exclamation marks. Yeah. So WordPress would not eliminate those like recognize those and eliminate them from the url so the previous content creators that we had had on board had been creating those 
which were uh, making it really difficult at the time um, for the own CMS to organize the content and show it on tags and categories, um, even for Google to reach it at some point. Um, so we try to edit those URLs, but our uh, redirect plugin did recognize those symbols in the URL. Oh so it, like the redirects were not working. So I suppose there's two things here that you're talking about. So it's like how you're perceived as a brand, um, but also like the actual like technical um, issues as well. Um, because yeah, um, you wouldn't even think about that, would you? Yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, well, thank you very much. I mean, I feel like I could ask you loads more questions. Please um, don't. I don't know loads more. <laughs> Just well, kidding it up. <laughs> Don't be daft. You're very knowledgeable. And uh, yes, this is a very valuable. I think um, people are going to take loads away from this. So are you ready for this week's feature? Um, am I? I hope so. <laughs> what have you got in store for me? So basically... Um, and I need to get a notepad and pen. Um, so bear with me one minute. Um, I'm very organized, aren't I? Um, <laughs> so basically, you, I've got um, a set of questions that's all related to color. Um, and you need to answer as many as you can in 60 seconds. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so I'm just getting myself sorted. Does that make sense? No, but let's go for it. <laughs> so yeah, basically, I'm just going to ask you a load of questions now, um, and you're going to see how many you can answer that are right. Okay. In sixty, and you can pass as well. Okay. Okay, okay. Right. So I am. Um, I'll count down the clock going on and then we'll go with the first question so three two one what bird has pink feathers and long legs pass what are the wait two no the flamingo the... the flamingo the flamingo name two colors in the rainbow indigo and red name a singer or band that has a color in their name blue what color is the m in mcdonald's yellow a magpie's feathers are what two colours? I don't know what that is. Okay, we'll so pass. pass. <laughs> what colour are the Simpsons? Yellow. What colour is Marlborough Street on the Monopoly board? No idea. Very dark blue is... We'll pass. Um, navy, Na navy. Navy, yep. Um, name of a fruit and a colour? Orange. Yes. Fill in the blank. Snow and the Seven Dwarves. White. Yep. The Beatles sung about what colour sunburine? Yellow. Ah, one more question. What colour roses are usually given at Valentine's Day? Red. Ah, yeah, right. So, uh, do you want to guess how many you got right in 60 seconds? <laughs> yeah, um, just mind that I'm not, I've not played British Monopoly, so I have no idea about that. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't know that uh, answer. So I think I was a bit harsh there. Ah, um, that's fine. You also <laughs> named the bird that I have. Like, I, to be fair, I don't know the birds in Sp the names of the birds in Spanish either. But um, it's nice to say that English is not my first language. So I can not know that. 
I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell. I mean, I really wish that I was bilingual. I cannot speak another language and I feel so lazy. Um, <laughs> so that's amazing. Uh, but yes, a magpie is, um, they have white and black feathers. So there you go. If you ever need to know that in the future. Thank you. Um, right. Well, that brings us to an end. Of this... bit, how many did I get right? Oh, did I not even? Tell you. No. Sorry, I just made you guess. It, I'm very I competitive. You. I need to know. Uh, so you got nine. You got nine right in in sixty seconds. That's not bad. That isn't bad. That isn't bad. Um, so yes, I'd be proud of that. Like sixty <laughs> seconds isn't long at all. Right, Lydia. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, carry on the conversation, ask you more questions, how can they do that? Yeah, they can come to my Twitter. It's Lydia Infante M, because Spanish people have two last names. And that's the first letter of my last name. Um, or through my website at lydia-infante.com. Yes, if you would like to uh, get in uh, involved or find out more about the Women in Tech SEO podcast, uh, we have a website. Uh, so we're Women in Tech SEO forward slash podcast. Uh, you'll find everything on there. Um, you'll find links to our social media. Um, you'll have all of our latest um, episodes on there. Um, you can also fill in if you want to speak like Lydia has today or sponsor the podcast. Uh, so go and check that out. And the only thing I would say is if you haven't yet subscribed to us, um, please do because then you'll get notifications of new ones. And if you are feeling extra generous and want to leave us a review on whatever podcast playing platform, that's a bit of a tongue teaser twister. Uh, yeah, so if you'd like to leave us a review on your podcast playing platform of your choice, that would be amazing. Um, well, I think the only thing left for us to say, Lydia, is goodbye. Goodbye. Thank you very much for having me. It's been really fun. Yes, I've enjoyed it too. And until next time.